This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. It's 2001, and uh, 20 years ago, Sona. Yes, good math. My calculator was out. Holding the calculator at the ready. I got to say, Sona. 2001 had a lot going for it Okay. in the world of pop culture. All right. I I was not expecting much, but we're going to get into this. Um, A TV show that I'd forgotten was launched this year, which I'm going to save for the TV slot, of course. That was... For me, something that would really elevate 2001 to a the status of a contender. And we've been talking about music a lot. Does the music bounce back for you a bit? It bounces back a bit. A bit. Okay. 2000 was a real low point for me, music-wise. Now, I've got a few inane stories from 2001 okay. very quickly for you. Um, a gobbler was gobbled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, explain I had that. to say that. So okay. um, a rare turkey was discovered on a remote Indonesian island off the coast of New Guinea. Scientists greeted the discovery of the Bruins brush, brush turkey even, not brush, brush turkey, with great excitement. This Wait, el- well, why was it so exciting that a turkey was in Indonesia? This elusive creature had not been seen since 1938 and was oh. presumed extinct. Okay. Unfortunately, scientists' delight turned to dismay when it emerged that the people who found the turkey had also eaten the evidence. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Um, there was also... That's not funny at all. It was like it, a creature that was extinct is now actually It, it, it was not funny. Extinct. It was not funny, but yet you laughed, belly laughed. But... <laughs> you know what I mean. No, I know. Um, there was a cheeky forgery that took place in 2001. Okay. A questionable incident uh, whereby a lady passed a dollar bill with a difference. An unidentified woman made off with $197 in change after paying from an ice cream with a fictitious $200 bill bearing the face of President George W. Bush. Um, now, the note was not a she copy. She got away with it, is what well, you're saying. Basically, she took advantage of a trainee employee okay. who didn't know that $200 bills didn't exist. Oh, no. So she gave him a fake $200 bill note, and he dutifully handed back change. $197 <laughs> in change. Uh, they couldn't even press charges because it wasn't a counterfeit note. It didn't exist in the first place. <laughs> There are no laws for using false bills that don't exist. Uh, well, I guess there yeah. she was. She was off. She was off and away with her hundred ninety-seven dollars of change and presumably an ice cream to show for it as well. And finally, um, it was the year of the toilet festival. Oh dear! Uh, the WTO. I hope it was the only year of the toilet festival. Well, I hope so too. But it was a global conference in Singapore. It hit the headlines in November, and it was not the World Trade Organization, but the less well-known but perhaps equally vital World Toilet organization the master of ceremonies was jack sim who is also the president of the restroom association of singapore and apparently he told the bbc he was looking to raise the profile of what he described as an essential service that has been taboo for too long i mean he's got a point there one of the key findings of this conference <laughs> oh yes was, you're going deep into this aren't you yeah, yeah, i thought of course. we were done there but no let's let's no, no, no. delve in yeah, no, no. well let's not delve too deeply but uh, there was um urgent attention required for the major discrepancy between the size of men's and women's toilets so we wait to see what the wto <laughs> brings in 2021 movies up next i'm gonna say 
Not a bad little group. Not a bad little collection of movies. And we've changed things up. We are going to be nominating our favourite movie, song and sporting moment from the year. I think mine is very obvious. This came out right at the tail end, almost the last week of 2001. But... It was just so iconic as a film, as a trilogy, kicking off the trilogy, that it had to be my choice. Is it secret? Is it safe? This is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of a second darkness. He's seeking it. Seeking it all. His thought is bent on it. No one knows it's here, do they? Do they, Gandalf? Oh, it just makes me want to go back and watch it. It's amazing. To be honest with you, I'd have picked it as well, but you picked it first. Yeah. So I couldn't pick it. It was yeah. amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, it blew me away at the time. I think of the trilogy, Two Towers was my favorite. Um, but, I mean, it was just so stunning in terms of how Peter Jackson filmed it, the sort of just the scenery that you saw. I do have to say, I watched it recently, maybe in the past one or two years. I can't remember exactly when. You and I have talked about this. Is that watching it after the fact, it is a bit too earnest. It you is. You want a little no, bit more humor in sorry, it. Sorry, A little I, bit more energy. I can watch it over and over again. Yeah. I just get lost in it. Every time I see it, it doesn't really matter which of the three films it is. I could watch it over and over. Weirdly, I always watch it on planes for some reason. Really? Which is an odd way to watch Lord well, of the Rings. it's a good way to kill a nine-hour flight. True, yeah. Just watch the trilogy. That's it. Sean Connery read the role for Gandalf, but admitted that he never understood it. He said, I never read the book. I read the script I saw the movie I still don't understand it I would be interested in doing something that I didn't fully understand but not for 18 months was his reasoning his deal had he taken the role would have been a small fee plus 15% of the film's income the entire trilogy went on to earn just shy of 3 billion dollars worldwide it's hard to imagine any other gandalf yeah, no, exactly. You know, it kind of just McKenna worked was out. Unbelievable. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage was offered the role of Aragorn, but he turned it down due to family obligations. So it ultimately went to Vigo Mortensen. That would have been so wrong. That would have been so wrong, wouldn't it? Disastrous. Who who would think to cast Nicolas Cage in a movie like this? Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree with you. And Vigo Mortensen, you can't imagine any other Aragorn, can yeah, you? Of course. Um, I can't name a single other film that he's been in, but um, but he is a brilliant <laughs> Aragorn. So you've taken that, um, that left me with little choice. I had to choose between Shrek and this one, and I went for this one. Vegas, huh? Vegas? Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly. <laughs> you are up to something, Danny. What? You're pulling a job, aren't you? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. You're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. What do you got in mind? I was at uni when this came out, and it was such a fun movie to watch at the cinema. And it had the cast was unbelievable. Matt Damon, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, your man who was the villain of the piece whose name escapes me now. It's Andy Garcia. (laughs) It's Andy Garcia. We got that in the end. Hollywood didn't. So, uh, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Ocean's Eleven, I I lost interest in it, the whole franchise and what have you. But the first one was great. They never never made it after after that. 12 
2013. And Always the, the law of diminishing returns. Rog, yeah. you've come in to give us your choice for movie of 2001. I have now, I have to say, Lord of the Rings and Ocean's Eleven, love both of those. But when I look back at 2001, I realised that one of my favourite films is from 2001. And it's kind of a bit of a forgotten British classic. Um, it's really strong characters and a great cast. Ray Winston, who's oh. just a brilliant actor, is so good in this. From the opening scene, when he is wearing a yellow Speedo and nothing else. You are hooked on this film. It's so good. It's about a retired crook who's moved to Spain to enjoy expat life away from crime with his wife, who's played by Amanda Redman, but his sidekick from years gone by joins him with the offer of one last job. It's called Sexy Beast, and this is the trailer. What's the worst scenario? It's going to come here. Ask me. I'm going to say no. Do the job. No, Don. Yes. No. Yes. No. Don't do this. What am I doing? This. This? This what? I know a bloke who knows a bloke who knows a bloke. Now, you know this bloke. Do I? This is a bloke you know. Wants me to put a team together. You see, girl, where there's a will, and there is a will, there's a way. There's always a way. Now, if this wasn't inspired by Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, no. I do not know what was. I was yeah. just going to say this has a real Guy Ritchie vibe, the trailer. And I have somehow never heard of this movie. I don't know how. Sonic, you'd love it. It, it. It's like that all the way through. It's just a game of tennis. The little ratty voice there that they were describing as Don is is the sidekick from years gone by. And he's played by Ben Kingsley, right? The guy who played Gandhi <laughs> is playing this guy. And he's so good. He won the Oscar for the best supporting role. Yeah. Brilliant film. Forgotten classic. All right, that is Roger's suggestion. Let us know, by the way, which one of those three you prefer. Um, <laughs> let's move on to other movie highlights for 2001. Uh, Lord Farquhar made his introductory appearance. John Lithgow played him. And I had to clip up a little scene where he famously interrogates a gingerbread man in the first ever Shrek. I've tried to be fair to you creatures. <laughs> now my patience has reached its end. Tell me, or I'll... No, not the buttons! Not my gumdrop all right, then. Who's hiding them? Okay, I'll tell you. Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man? The Muffin Man. Yes, I know the Muffin Man. Who lives on Drury Lane? Well... She's married to the Muffin Man. John Lithgow went from appearing in Cliffhanger to that <laughs> in a couple of years. Now, Nicolas Cage once again apparently turned down the lead role because, get this, he didn't want to be an ogre. You're an, <laughs> you're an actor, Nicholas. Come on. How is Nicolas Cage turning away any work? It yeah. is a marvel to me that he gets any offers. It is amazing. He must have been at his peak right then. That he was getting yeah. offered so many. It must have just after Conair, maybe, something like that. Face-off was probably around then. Yeah, too. yeah. The cast of The Others. And by the way, if you haven't seen The Others, one of the spookiest films I've ever seen. And it was starring Nicole Kidman. Really, really tense horror. And um, the accents here, they definitely went to the Sonal Rapani school of British accents. Take a listen. Why do you open the curtains? It was Victor. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. I've seen them too. Have? Sooner or later, she'll see them. Then everything will be different. 
It's got a final twist that rivals Sixth Sense, Ooh. that film. If you haven't seen it, it's really, really worth a watch. Other movies that year, Donnie Darko, the original Fast and the Furious, Black Hawk Down, and in comedy, it was a good year for Ben Stiller and the rest of the frat pack. I'm sorry I was born with this perfect bone structure, that my hair looks better done up with gel and mousse than hidden under a stupid hat with a light on it. All I ever wanted to do was make you proud of me, Pop. With what, your male modeling? Prancing around in your underwear? <laughs> so that, that was one of many collaborations involving Stiller, Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and Will Ferrell. They emerged, I didn't realize this, but they're known as the Frat Pack. I didn't, I've never heard this term before. Okay, and the full cast of the Frat Pack are Stiller, Wilson, Luke Wilson, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Jack Black, Paul Rudd, and Vince Vaughn. Get this, between 1996 and 2007, the Frat Pack members co-starred in, not all together, but between all of the actors yeah. co-starred in various films a ridiculous 52 movies that is insane Um, that's a quiz question how many of them can you name I think that's another one that's one for another day but uh, moving on to TV and this just bumps 2001 right up to the top of the tree for me in terms of contenders it was the launch of quite simply my favourite sitcom of all time and my favourite character in any sitcom of all time as well take a listen people see me and they see the suit and they go you're not fooling anyone they know I'm rock and roll through and through but uh, you know that old thing live fast die young not my way live fast Sure, I live too bloody fast sometimes. But uh, die young, die old. That's the way. I'm not orthodox, you know. I don't live by the rules. <laughs> live fast, die old. <laughs> so good. So I'm so good. glad you picked this. Ricky one. Gervais. Yeah. We've uh, done the backstory of this whole, uh, this whole, how this originated, and how much mm. he really stuck to his guns with producers to say, you know yep. what, this is my script. I'm going to take ownership of yeah. it. Yeah, it, it did not get that. The sort of focus groups were very negative towards it, but um, it obviously became a massive hit, and uh, it spawned so many um, different sort of uh, franchises of The Office. Um, Gervais still says to this day that David Brent was his most fun character to play. He said, none of my characters have been as much fun to play as David Brent. People say he was the boss from hell. He wasn't. He was just a twit. (laughs) He was a man whose biggest mistake was confusing popularity with respect. Uh, Great show. And the other show that launched, which was a big favourite of mine in 2001, was 24. Oh, people were captivated oh, by this show. Oh, love 24. This was one screen. of those shows people would gather around together to watch, you know, yeah. appointment watching. It was yeah. a big, big uni show, that. You could yeah. rattle through a season in a day. It was one of those. But um, anyway, we'll get on to music. In mainstream music in 2001... It was pretty awful. New metal was in its ascendancy. Linkin Park were huge sellers. Okay. Pop was evolving into more of a blended kind of R&B sound. Okay, which is and your favourite, as we know. Exactly, my, my real favourite. <laughs> but there were a few highlights. And Sona Rapani's choice is what, so? Well, I've gone with a little Daft Punk. <laughs> It's actually probably my, probably my favourite Daft Punk song, actually. Yeah, this is not my usual kind of choice, to be fair. I did like that, um, I think a couple of years later, Kanye came out with a remix as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I like that version as well. And people assumed that that was an down. original. Yeah, people it's a little bit shocked. slowed down, isn't it? Yeah. You did have a second <laughs> suggestion, which we are going to get to. Now, explain your thinking behind this one, so. Uh, well, just it was just... Again, certain songs in that time 
time and place were just everywhere. You just remember. And I still enjoy this song today. I'm going to uh, say it. Who, what are we talking about here? Oh, it's ludicrous. <laughs> with Roll Out. You know. Okay, we're not going to give that much ready. air time. You're getting ready. You know, you're doing your makeup. Getting your heels on. You're about to come to the money's club. grooving to that. You're about to go to the club with your friends. <laughs> At 15 years of age, yeah, okay. All right, okay. Ludicrous rollout. Mine is this. Which is not a very 2001 sound, really. Mm. No, it's not. Bit kind of White Stripes had a big year that year, though. And, and they weren't a very 2001 band. They were, they no. were so odd. They were captivating. Just yeah. the two of them. When was Seven Nation Army? Around, around about this time. A little okay. bit later, maybe. Yeah. A little, little bit later, perhaps. Yeah. Um, now, Roger, what are we going with for Mr. Pryor? Yeah, so as you've said, 2001's mainstream music was quite tough. So at this age, I was... I just remember being in loads of different like indie bars in the northeast of England and hearing music as broad as the two I'm about to play you now. So this is the streets first single. Has it come to this? Oh, oh, oh. Original pirate material. You're listening to the streets down your aerial. Has it come to this? And it kind of gave fusing dance with Garage, yes. right? Yeah, it kind of turned UK Garage on its head, and from that you got people like Dizzy Rascal and stuff like that. Yeah, but then, Artful Dodger, or they'd already come out. They'd come out, and it was yeah, it was it was around that same time. But then, okay. and the same set, a DJ would play that song and then go into this. Okay, this is the Strokes, and this is Last Night. Yeah, really good at this. Really good. So 2001 had some things going for it. It did. It did. And I've I've, uh, I've dug out a few other highlights from the year. Okay. Um, again, some of them were a little bit suspect, but we're going to play them anyway. Uh, in pop music, as I mentioned, the worlds of dance, R&B, and kind of regular pop were merging. Yeah. And an unlikely sample from a soul legend hit the Ibiza dance floors that summer. Now, I found out, interestingly, that Barry White, who was responsible for the original, yeah. had not given permission to Black Legend to do this. That's right. So Elroy Spoonface Powell <laughs> is the vocalist in this little clip here. Ah. And this was a massive hit. This reached number one in the UK in June of 2001. It was the 40th best-selling single globally in that year. And it was Black Legend, You See the Trouble With Me. Speaking of monster dance hits, I think this may just have been the biggest. A fun fact about the DJ, DJ Spiller here, mm -hmm. um, who teamed up with Sophie Ellis-Bexter to record this. He's noted for being the tallest DJ in the world at six feet nine inches. Whoa. Um, when this song topped the UK chart, he became the tallest DJ to have a UK number one hit, overtaking six foot seven inch Long John Baldry. <laughs> 
I mean, these are the facts that you come to. This is to off script. Your this is off script. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I'm uh, not. I'm going to go ahead and say this is one of those songs that's endured. I've never yeah, been a fan of it. Me, me Anything neither. by Sophie Alex Baxter, which is the only other thing I can think of that she's done is Murder on the yeah, Dance Floor. Yeah, correct. Oh, yeah. no thanks. I, I completely agree with you. But it was you couldn't get away from it, and it's still yeah. on rotation now, isn't it, Rog? It is. Uh, what about this one? This is a bit niche. Freestyle. This is Finnish hip-hop group Bomb Funk MCs. I forgot about the existence of this song. This has just come back to me from 20 yeah. years ago, and I love it. I'm falling back in love with 2001. And to be honest with you, Sone, I, I would have expected you to give a little sh- shout-out to the following artist that I'm about to play as we move on to a bit of hip-hop here. I, I think you might have just forgotten that she no, was big in this year. I considered this particular song as my choice, but there was just too much going on with that Daft Punk song, with Ludacris. Yeah. Chris. This was my third choice, actually. Now, Missy Elliott, when asked what Get Your Freak On meant... (laughs) Somebody needs to ask that question. (laughs) Yeah, she spoke to Blender magazine in 2007, and she said, listen... If you're cleaning your house, get your freak on. Okay. You know, it could mean anything. I like that. basically what I, yeah. what I mean by that. She was actually a guest at the Halftime Super Bowl in 2015 where she performed that. And it actually returned into the Hit 100 charts, Get Your Freak On, uh, 14 years after it had first come out because of her appearance at the Super Bowl in 2015. I do need to get to this one. I had clipped up. Destiny's Child had a massive hit with Survivor, Weetus and Teenage Dirtbag. I know we did a, a bit of a story on Well, we Wheatus. spoke to the guy, we the spoke frontman to him. of That's exactly right. Okay, yeah, no, so. this, is, this is one of my favourite songs of the year as well. Okay, well... So that was Wheatus, Teenage Dirtbag, which just kind of followed in the footsteps of American Pie and all those kind of... That was that the era, wasn't it? Whereby there were a lot of types of movies in the cinema, which was kind of American teen kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. That Americana skater boy kind of vibe. um, I'm going to finish on this one. This is such a bizarre combo. Tom Jones and Moose T. Uh, Moose yeah, T, German DJ and producer, and the Welsh crooner Tom Jones teaming up um, as part of uh, one of his, his The Reload album, I think it was. And he had this bizarre comeback, did Tom Jones, around the turn of millennium. Uh, but that is, uh, that's all the music for you. Listen, it was a good year for sports. This was one of my favourite all-time sporting moments, and I could have gone to it. It's one of my big regrets in life, actually, was the um, Wimbledon final, which was played on a Monday okay. in 2001. It was played between my favourite player, Goran Ivanisevic, and Pat Rafter. Goran had reached the final on three previous occasions. In 1992, he lost to Andre Agassi. And in 1994 and 1998, he lost to Pete Sampras, who'd won seven Wimbledons in the 90s. And then after he'd already kind of 
sort of declined as a player mm. and back into the sort of the heyday or the, or the I should say not the heyday that's the wrong word the kind of twilight of his career right. if you like he was given a wild card to appear at Wimbledon which means he didn't qualify by rights he was handed a, a kind of free opportunity a free pass sure. and he got to the final where he faced Pat Rafter it was played on a Monday we'd been that week me and a friend of mine and we could have just gone and queued but we didn't realise and we later found out that people were just getting in at kind of midday because it's notoriously difficult to get into Wimbledon oh so you you didn't go because you thought you wouldn't be able to. Exactly. Right, okay. we, we watched it at home. It was 20, 20 miles down the road oh. and we could have gone. So that's a, a real regret. But this is Chris's choice for sporting moment of the year. At last, the waiting is over. We have a new Wimbledon champion. A man who four times now has attempted to scale the ultimate heights and at last he does it in the final game he wow. cried at match point before he'd won he then got taken to juice he then prayed on the tram line where rafter's ball went out he got down and kind of knelt down and clutched his hands together and said a prayer during the final game and it went to juice four or five times it was unbelievably nail-biting it was a wimbledon that had an incredible atmosphere because it wasn't the usual stuffy crowd in it was it was people's monday quote unquote so okay. anyone who was a fan could go in and create an amazing atmosphere so all the aussies who lived in London went down to support Pat Rafter and it was just a brilliant atmosphere it was the same year that Roger Federer broke through on the grass of SW19 with a passing of the baton moment with Pete Sampras who he beat in the fourth round this is I found this interview this was Federer back in 2001 talking about that win over Sampras well I mean sometimes uh, I looked across the net and I saw him and uh I said, this is just unbelievable what I'm experiencing right now at the packed house. Um, friends are watching, my coach is here, and um, on grass, center court, he's the best ever on this court. So, I don't know, like, I just couldn't believe it sometimes. It's just a joke. <laughs> It's so funny to hear that. Sort of at a young age, so much ahead of him, and he has no idea. Yeah, you know, he, he had re- no idea what he was to become at that yeah, point. Yeah, he sounded so young, didn't he? Yeah. And naive, and that's the man that would go on to win not just one more than Pete Sampras, but six more Grand Slams than the legendary Pete Sampras. Now, Goran is right up there for me, but ultimately, I have to go with a feat in sport that I do not think we will see repeated in our collective lifetimes. There it is, as grand as it gets. What a way to cap it off. Perfect speed, perfect line. And Tiger has his slam. Something I never dreamt that I would ever see or ever thought that anyone could ever do. I think it's the greatest feat I've ever known in all sports. Is that true? The greatest feat in all of sports? It's unprecedented. He held all four majors at the same time. It's absolutely unprecedented. What's the the closest somebody's gotten to that? Jordan Spieth, back in 2015, won the first two. He won the Masters and the US Open. And then he actually finished a shot outside the playoff in the Open. And he'd come second in the PGA. But uh, but Tiger won four in a row. Wow. And he won the US Open by 15 shots. He won the British Open by eight shots, the Open Championship. He won the PGA in a playoff 
playoff and then he won the 2001 Masters. So it wasn't all in a calendar year because the three previous had been in 2000. But on his mantelpiece were all four major trophies at the same time. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Because in golf, you don't really get repeat wins like that. It's very difficult. It's much harder to do than even in tennis, say, when Djokovic did it a few years ago. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.